Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning. How we doing? Anything exciting this week? Your social media is calm. Everything's just another ordinary week, right? Um, same for me. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, just a normal week. I, uh, I did want to start, so we're in a series uh, on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit specifically, but I did want to start, we talked more about it last week, and just remind us, City Church, followers of Jesus, to uh, continue to really engage healthfully and respectfully um, in our spheres of influence. I thought that would be really good to just remind us again. So if you, and we have people, remember, on both sides. So we, we are under one family, but of course we are allowed to disagree. Like that's, that's great. Um, but if you were celebrating and you were so upset four years ago at how people were mourning, just remember what that felt like and mourn well, mourn respectfully. And if you were mourning four years ago and you hated how people were celebrating, remember to celebrate humbly, bring humility into everything. And, uh, and we really, really, again, I wouldn't choose this tension for anything, but we do have a unique opportunity just to show the world a little bit different way to engage and a little bit different way that we can engage helpfully and we don't have to shy away from opinions, but tone is everything, respect is everything. What would Jesus do if he was in our country? Don't tell everybody how you think he would vote, but engage in the way that you think he would engage. So does that sound good? Are we in this for Cincinnati? I, um, so a few years ago, I helped serve, uh, or I helped lead a ministry, a college ministry at UNLV, so in Las Vegas. And uh, I did it with one of my good friends. His name is Graham. And Graham, like, has this, like, eight-year-old beard. It's, like, the most disarming thing to college students. Uh, He's, like, 6'2", from North Carolina, southern boy. And uh, Graham and I, the first week of every uh, school semester, we'd go to UNLV, and we'd just hang out with students, and we'd meet them. And uh, it's one of the ways I met the Oleais, if you know them, Ben, Mandy, Layla, that whole family. But one day, we were doing, like, just the beginning of the school year, hanging out with students. We're like throwing the football because we found that was like way uh, less, or way more disarming than anything else. And uh, we threw the ball to this guy named David and we're just throwing it. And Graham's this like crazy prophetic evangelism guy. And he just shares the gospel with this guy, David. And David's a bro. He's throwing the football. And after after Graham shares the gospel, David pulls out his necklace, which is the star of David, and said, you know, I'm Jewish. It's great but yeah, I don't really agree with that, or I, I don't know if that thing is for me, but it's good for you. And, and so David goes away. And about two hours later, David comes back, and he's on crutches this time. Um, he had like destroyed his ankle at the gym, and, uh, and so we don't throw him the football this time, because that would be mean. But uh, we see David, and it's like, David, what happened? And he's like, yeah, I destroyed my ankle, it's at the gym. I mean, and he, like, it was swollen. And, uh, and I remember Graham just looked at him with these like narrow eyes and said, bro, Jesus just wants to heal you. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's news to me. Um, 
And so I watched Graham like get down on his hands and knees and put his uh, hands around David's ankle. And believe me or not, but I watched his ankle get smaller and smaller and smaller. The swelling went down and down and down. At the same time, David's eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger as the pain went away. And I watched him kind of like test it out at the beginning. And then he just starts sprinting up and down what we call the free speech zone. He starts sprinting, yelling, like jumping up and down. And, and I told a story a few weeks ago about how my friend Alexa, she got uh, healed of leukemia and what that did to me. And if that did something to me, this story, because David comes back and he's like, okay, that Jewish guy you were telling me about, I want to know more about him. The guy that just healed my ankle, like, I think I should probably know him. And he gives his life to Jesus and he starts meeting up with Graham regularly for discipleship. And... Uh, I watched that happen. I watched that unfold, obviously, in a day and then over a few moments uh, or a few months. And I, I remember thinking, okay, the Holy Spirit isn't just something like some cool party trick that like does something in my heart. Apparently, and now I see it all through the Bible, but apparently it actually gives testament to the news of Jesus. It's the way that Jesus did ministry where he did proclaim the kingdom and we, we proclaimed a message that Graham shared the gospel with him, which we believe is sufficient but it wasn't enough for David in that moment. It was after he saw the kingdom expressed that he said, okay, now that news makes sense to me. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about signs and wonders, healing and miracles, which is really fun. We're shying away from no like tough topic in these early days. And, and I thought I would start a few months or a few weeks ago, I read um, our little statement on uh, women in ministry. So it's a, it's a conviction. It's not like one of our core essential beliefs. But there's another statement that we spent so much time writing together. And uh, it's on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read that because I thought that would be good context. It is our conviction that the Holy Spirit's work has not changed or ceased in Pentecost, since Pentecost. Specifically, we see biblical evidence that the gifts the Spirit gives ought to be eagerly desired under the guidance of the local church. We believe God still speaks heals, and does wonders in the earth. I love that sentence. We believe God still speaks, heals, and does wonders in the earth. And if there's a summary verse, we're going to dig into the word in a second, but if there's a summary verse for this morning, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Paul just does about two chapters on spiritual gifts. He's about to do another one. He didn't call them chapters, though. Uh, but he gets into 1 Corinthians 14.1, and he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So he starts off by saying, hey, this would be the most important thing. Follow the way of love, and in light of that, eagerly pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And, and so I've been in, like, messages, churches that have taught on this, and, and I'm about to read your mail. I know you're waiting for, like, the big juicy, like, statement, like, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved, or if God doesn't heal you, he doesn't love you. Um, no juicy statement is coming. Those things aren't true. But I know that like, we're waiting for like, the story or like, the big you know, statement or stance, and I think some of that's coming. But before, as is my custom, we're going to do like 10 minutes of painful background, right? Okay, I, I didn't want to do it. Actually, this one might be more painful than usual. Usually, I just say that sarcastically. This one is going to be like, I felt like, and I don't love getting into the Greek unless it actually is relevant. We need to learn three words from like, the original text. Juiciness is coming. Relevance is coming, Okay. Luke 9, 1 through 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so I don't want to ignore 
like we're going to talk about power and authority, but I don't want to ignore what Jesus did when he started kind of going public in his ministry is he started to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, and then he started to take care of the stuff that does not, is not congruent with said kingdom. So he says, we're going to heal disease, we're going to drive out demons, and he says, but first of all, the kingdom of God is near. And it's the thing that Jesus talked more about than anything else, more than, than sex, more than money, more than divorce, more than heaven, more than hell. He talks about the kingdom of God. And he said, his big overarching message is the kingdom of God is near. And then he starts to kind of outline what that looks like. And he starts to live out what that looks like. But he said, uh, Luke said, as he's recording this, that Jesus gave them power and authority. And so that first word power, you've probably, maybe you've heard this before, I don't want to say probably, but maybe this is like really popular in the charismatic circles, but the Greek word for power is dunamis. Okay, it's where we get this word like dynamite. And uh, it's that miraculous like spark, firework, power. And uh, it doesn't just mean that, though. And we talk a lot about how, like, when God brings power, he brings that. But the true definition, it's actually kind of twofold, is it's power for performing miracles and moral power or excellence of soul. So it's a two-parted definition, and we're going to talk about those two parts and what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. It's not just signs and wonders. It's not just miracles. It also, if the Holy Spirit's moving in power, it should be providing that excellence of soul inside of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the thing that makes you look more and more and more like Jesus. And so he said, I'm bringing power to perform miracles and that excellence of soul. This is in your notes. I thought this was fun. Uh, If we don't have the gifts, we are deficient. If we don't have the fruit, we are deformed. If we don't have the gifts, we're deficient. We don't have the fruit, we're deformed, and the stance, uh, you probably should be gathering this by now if you've been here before, the stance we usually take is one of tension. We don't go to one side or the other, but we want the fruit, and we want the gifts, we want the power, and that excellence of soul. Um, And he says, I'm bringing that, and he gives the disciples that. And then he also says, Luke says, that he not only gave them power, but he gave them authority. That word is exousia, okay? It's it's, and I love this definition, it's not in your notes, but if you're a note taker, I'd write this down, that authority means delegated influence. So Jesus, who has all the authority, all influence in the world, he starts to delegate that to his disciples. And he does the same thing, it's not just in Luke 9, he does the same thing in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, he's, you know, we all talk about like, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, but the verse right before that, Matthew 28, 18, says all authority... All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus, not me. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. And so Jesus is really big about delegating his influence to his followers. It's one of the mandates of being a follower of Jesus is we carry the authority. We carry some of that uh, influence that Jesus has. He gives it to us so that we can be uh, what Paul would call an ambassador of the kingdom. An ambassador doesn't have any real power on their own. They're just somebody living in another country. But because of the president or the king or whoever has delegated them influence, they actually speak on behalf of a whole nation. That's a crazy concept. And Paul says, no, that's actually the same for us. We are ambassadors. We carry the authority of Jesus. Power comes from him, and authority comes from knowing who you are in him. And there's not one that's better than the other, but if there is, it's probably authority. (laughs) where we have to know who we are in Jesus. If we want to move healthfully and helpfully in power, we have to understand first our authority and our identity in him. 
And uh, a, a good way to kind of illustrate this, at least in 2020, is a police officer has both power and authority. A power would come from maybe like a gun, but it's actually the badge that gets them into places, because anybody can, not anybody, people can buy guns. What you can't mimic is like that little piece of metal. And not that that little piece of metal is like special powered in itself, but what it says, what it represents is, okay, the state of Ohio, the city of Cincinnati has delegated influence in that badge. And it's actually the badge or the authority that gives them a little bit more influence than even the power. And so there's power, there's authority. We're almost there. Greek word number three comes from Acts 1.8, the very last thing that Jesus says. Uh, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power, again, is dunamis. But he says that you will receive. And I looked into that a little, and there's a couple different words for receiving. Okay, and one of them is like this passive, like, I won't deny it if it comes. That's one word that he could have used, but he didn't use that. He uses this other word, lambano, which means to take what is one's own. So in the spirit-filled life, and we're almost there, in the spirit-filled life, it's not this thing where it's like, I'll listen to worship music. In some circles, we just call it soaking. I'm just going to soak, and then I'll get spirit-filled. No, no, no. It's that other. It's that, like, I'm taking what is my own. It's this act of receiving. And in order to live the truly spirit-filled life, in order to start to see the signs and the wonders, but also that moral excellence, it's not just something that we say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'll just be sitting here. It is more of something that says, that's mine, and I'm going to actively participate with God, and I'm going to take what is my own because of your authority in Jesus. That's all intro. Let's talk about healing, and let's talk about miracles. I know this is what you came for. Let's first talk about healing. Okay, so the definition I would put attached to healing is the miraculous ability to heal different classes of sickness. Miraculous ability to heal different classes of sickness. And Jesus kind of gives a mission statement in Luke 4. He comes to the synagogue, really controversial thing. He unrolls a scroll that's quoting from Isaiah, that's talking about the Messiah. And he says, this whole thing that you've been reading about, this like Jewish tradition that this is what the Messiah is going to look like, it's fulfilled in your midst right here. And part of that mission statement that Jesus quoted was bringing sight to the blind, casting out sickness, bringing the fullness of God's kingdom here to earth. And so part of why we believe in healing is because of that, or why we believe that God still moves in power is because Jesus said that, and in Matthew 6, Jesus said, I want you to pray heaven onto earth. Right? He said, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we're going to engage in kingdom work, first of all, we have the like unbelievable privilege of pulling heaven down onto earth. But the reason that we pray for healing, overarching, big, large theological thing, would be because there is no sickness in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. Jesus told us to pray that earth would start to look like heaven. We also know that's not going to perfectly happen. So, which begs the question, why, don't, why doesn't everybody get healed? And the answer to that is, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> I know. There, I've read books on it. There are some good answers for, okay, well then if God still heals, why doesn't he heal everyone? There are some decent explanations, good explanations, but ultimately, and I'm like a one on the Enneagram. I'm type A. Nobody wants an equation to God more than I do. But I've learned to be comfortable just not fully understanding everything. I've learned to be comfortable just saying, okay, there is no equation 
for why this happens. It is possible that Jordan's actually right, that his thoughts and his ways are above our ways, and so it makes a little bit of sense that we don't always understand the things that he's doing. But it doesn't negate the fact that we still pray for it. And it doesn't negate the fact that we still engage in Jesus' kingdom mission of pulling heaven onto earth. There are less uh, clear answers. This is what I've found. There's less clear answers in the world of healing uh, than we would like, but there's more guiding principles than I, I probably thought there were. There's so many like guiding principles in that. And so if these are like some theological kind of surroundings of God healing, I'm going to blow them up right now with a story. Uh, I went to India like six years ago. I still can't fully explain this, but it's worth sharing. I uh, went to India six years ago it was from our church in Vegas. There was nine of us. It was a great trip. Craziest week of my life. Like absolute, like saw things I never thought I would see. One of which was I went there with one of my good friends named Amari. And Amari, he's been here actually. He's led worship for a worship night that we did um, before we launched. And uh, Amari's a great worship leader, a uh, really good friend. He's also legally blind. So he like has to text kind of with his phone right here. He's not allowed to drive. He's colorblind. And, uh, and I, uh, I can't tell you how many godly people I've seen, hopefully I would include myself in that, that have laid hands on him, that have prayed for healing. We have like gone after it. We fasted for Amari to receive his sight. And currently, I talked to him on Friday, uh, still blind. But we went to India. We went to a slum, a village in India, and we started praying for people. We got to preach the gospel. And then, this happened two different times, but uh, the first time, a man came out who was blind, who was legally blind. And we stood, like, from me to Catherine away and, and held up, you know, this, and he's like, and we had a translator. It's not like we just couldn't speak to him. Uh, and he just couldn't see it, like 10, 12 feet away. And in the, in the span of 30 seconds, believe me or not, I watched a blind man, Amari, pray for this guy, and he could read. And then we doubled it. He could read. We went 40, 50 feet away. He could read. I watched Amari, my good friend, who I know for a fact is legally blind, pray for a guy who was blind in India and receive his sight. And if he was here today, you wouldn't be able to understand him because he only speaks Hindi. But if we had a translator, he would say, yeah, praying for healing is well worth it. Like, there are two men that the same, exact same thing happened like two days later. There, it is well worth it to engage in the ministry of healing. One, because we believe that Jesus said it. Two, because there are two men that I know of now in India who did not have sight and now do. Come on, I think a little more. It, there are two men that have sight now that did not before. That's like worth saying, Holy Spirit, you are real. Jesus' name actually carries power. But again, what does that do to our theology? What does that do to all the answers that we were hoping to have? I don't know. I watched my blind friend heal another blind guy, and he's still not healed. I don't know what to do with that. But what I do know is that God's still on the move. God is still moving in our prayers, and he listens to us. And again, I can't explain it all, and I'd be really surprised if you could. But it's still something worth going after. So as I was thinking, okay, what do I want people to know? I'd I could go way more into like this story or this Bible verse. Um, but what I didn't want to have happen is for us to leave here, be theologically convinced that God still heals, and then just say, okay, well, I guess someone else will take care of it. We'll let Amari do all the healing. Uh, not the case, not true. So I'm going to talk a little bit about like super practical because I'd love to hear stories of this happening over the next couple weeks. Super practical way to pray for healing. 
Okay, and it's not like you say a spell and then they get healed. Not how Jesus works, no equation. There is a good model that's kind of been tested over time or you even see through scripture of how to pray for healing. There's five steps. Number one, this is like really sterile language, but you start with an interview. Again, sterile, what's your name? Uh, we're going to pray for healing after this. If I don't know you, I'm probably going to start by asking what your name is and what's wrong. And we just start there. I know you thought you like took a Bible and hit them. Not the best strategy, not respectful. What's your name? What's going wrong? I love to ask uh, step two in like a diagnosis. What do you think is causing this? Um, and if their back hurts and you're like on the hunt for a demon, like oh, I bet it's a demon, and they got in a car wreck last week, it's probably the car wreck, guys. We don't have to like over-spiritualize everything. But there are times, and I can tell you this has happened so more often than anything, if it's not something exactly physical, unforgiveness is the greatest way to also hang on to like some kind of ailment in your body. Unforgiveness. More than like it's a demon, it's probably, if it's not like something physical that can be explained, it's probably unforgiveness. Scripture says that when you, uh, when you walk in sin, you give the devil, you give Satan a foothold. And so you've opened yourself up to those things. I can't tell you how many people I've seen, like nightmares go away, voices go away, backs get healed, and who knows why that's how it manifests, but it simply is because of unforgiveness. So we interview, we diagnose, again, super medical. I'll change this next time I preach this message. Uh, number three is prayer. And so we don't just jump in right away with prayer, but we say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And we ask the Lord what he's doing. We ask the Lord to speak to them, to speak to you, and we tell the Lord, like, we, we tell the sickness to go in Jesus' name. Not in your name, not in no name, but in Jesus' name. And, and then afterwards, and this is in your notes, we do some kind of assessment. Like, okay, at the beginning, I usually ask, like, okay, your back hurts, scale from one to ten. Uh, if I prayed for you, I probably did this. It's an eight. Okay, well, the reason we ask that is because it could go down, but you might not be able to, like, tangibly say what it is without some kind of scale. And we don't want it to go, like, to a seven and a half and us run around and claim that God's moving and we're healing. But we say, okay, what did God do? There's an assessment. What's happened? It went from an eight to a four. went from an eight to a zero. It's an eight to an eight. Okay, let's keep praying. And then number five is some kind of, like, follow-up which is really simple, hopefully really obvious, but what if Graham had prayed for David's ankle, he gets healed, he starts running around, and then we just went on to someone else? Like, of course, we want to tell about the man that just healed you. So, hey, if you want to, like, if you want to keep this unforgiveness, that's a big deal. Or you don't know Jesus, like knowing Jesus, that's a really big deal. And we engage in this follow-up. And, again, not everyone is going to be healed that you pray for, and so it's, hey, I, I commit to keep praying, or let's, let's pray about this next Sunday. And there's some kind of follow-up where we're still engaging in what God's doing. So that's healing. That's praying for healing. And I would love, I, it would make me so happy, whether people get healed or not, really rooting for the healing. But I would love to just hear stories of our church going out and praying. I'd love to hear stories of us praying for each other, praying for random people, praying on the streets because we believe that God is a God who moves. And, uh, and you have no less authority than anybody else. You might have less training or less experience, but there's only one way to solve that one. And uh, one of my favorite like pastor, theologian guys, I've quoted him before, but John Wimber says that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And so if we want to see God move, I promise you, 
if you do pray for healing, you will see people healed. Just like going to take that one to the bank, put my money on God. Um, I also doubt that you'll see anybody get healed if you don't pray for it. It's the like Michael Jordan adage that you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Now again, maybe you'll see it. I'm not going to promise you won't see it ever, but it's going to be really tough to see people get healed in the kingdom to come if we're not actually engaging in this. So I'd love to hear stories. Send me your stories. If you have complaints, Tyler at citychurchotr.com. But if you have great stories, my name's Chris. I love co-pastoring. All right, miracles. <laughs> miracles. Uh, Paul, and he planted a church in this uh, city called Corinth, and he writes a letter back to them, 1 Corinthians 2. He says, My message and my preaching were not just of wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So Paul said, my church planting, like, uh, you know, specialty wasn't just based around, like, a really good sermon. Okay, so this is not the end-all, be-all of church. But he said, it was, it was then the words that I said, but in the Spirit's power, the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And there are two big schools of thought on what the gifts of the Spirit or specifically even what miracles look like theological term like one side is called cessationism which means that the gifts have ceased once the bible came we don't need any more gifts anymore the other side is continuationism or they have continued those are the two big ones that all like kind of theological people agree on i'm going to assert there's a third um, i think the third because very few scholars i'll put here some juiciness here's my cards on the table very few, like, really respectable scholars actually claim cessationism. Um, usually it's, like, some, like, really hardcore Bible people, which is great. Love our Bible. Uh, ironically, though, you have to do some pretty creative interpretation to arrive there. Very few, and there's a couple, and we're on the same team as them, but there, there are very few people that, like, are respectable scholars that arrive over there. Most people do arrive over here. I actually think, though, very few people are here, very few people are here. Most of us sit in this middle one, and I'm saying it for the first time. You heard it first here. I'm calling it practical cessationism, where we don't go over there because we have way too much biblical integrity to say it's not real. But we're very, very good at explaining it away. Like, well, we probably should have some order, because Scripture says order. And we should probably not do that there. And, and only that kind of person could pray for this. And maybe we shouldn't do it like in church. Maybe it should only be on the streets. But not that street and not that street. And by the time you end up with like your theology around this or your like experience, you have the Holy Spirit in a little ball. And you just put them in your drawer. And you wait until the time is right. And I say you, but I mean me. <laughs> I totally don't believe in this. But I can tell you most of the time I'm not always engaging in this. I'm forgetting that there's a super involved in the natural. I'm forgetting that God's actually a God that breaks in and does the miraculous. And so most of us kind of sit in the middle. Again, there's no shame, but a lot of us kind of sit here where it's like, I'm sure that God still moves, but I'm not sure that I want to like fully engage in it. And so a miracle, I think miracles are still happening. A miracle, just kind of broad definition, is an event involving a real or apparent upset of law. So like an upset of a natural law, like death, like gravity. It's basically when the super, God, breaks into the natural. And you can't explain that by purely like natural law. And Jesus, he did a ton of healings, right? But he also did a lot of miracles. His first miracle was 
Water unto wine. Very good. You guys would know that. Uh, but John, John, he doesn't just do it. A lot of people think like, yeah, Jesus was a partier and he wanted to keep the party going. I believe he was a blast at parties. But John gives us a little more insight into actually why that happened. John 2.11, it says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. And so a miracle is not fully something that we want to like. It's not just a party trick, a cool story, bro. It's, uh, it's something that should be, bring glory to God and or should help other people believe. And that might be yourself included. Every time I see a miracle, I get a little bit deeper into faith and it's a little harder for me to move into unbelief because you see something that you can't explain by the natural. So miracles should reveal his glory and cause belief. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up soon, but I want to tell you guys, uh, a couple days after that blind guy got healed, I want to tell you about the craziest day of my life. It's in India. Uh, this might be too far. Again, Tyler at citychurchotr.com. But the craziest story, craziest day of my life, we go to a conference. Again, when you're in India, they just like, they tell you, you arrive like three hours late, which is on time. It's 120 degrees. And, uh, and they said, hey, I think you're going to like be at a conference. And we arrive, and it's 300 people like sitting under an aluminum roof, and we're the speakers. But we didn't know that until like you get there, which is fine. And, uh, and so we get there, and they're like, yeah, just you know, preach the gospel and lead worship. And so my friend Trey, uh, again, these are 300 people, and th there's the caste system in India. So these are like the lowest caste. It's called the untouchables, which is awful. Um, later found out they're, they're so poor that they don't have money to go to a doctor, so they have to go to witch doctors when, when they're sick, which explains some of what's about to happen. But um, we go there, 300 people uh, sitting, and my friend Trey preaches the gospel, and it's great, and have a translator, and then we start to go into worship in like Hindi, and uh, they're just kind of swaying back and forth. Some of them raise their hands, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know if these people like need us. Are we just token Americans? Um, are we just here like to preach the same message they've heard from a different country? And, uh, and then I'll never forget our leader, Sandeep. Uh, he was kind of our liaison there. And he's like, okay, just move into the crowd. And uh, just move into the crowd. And I'm like, all right. And I wasn't on the A team, I guess, because I didn't get a translator. So some of us got translators, some of us didn't. But we, 300 people, and we just, this is pre-COVID, six years ago, we just move into the crowd, and we're just wading through a sea of people, and, uh, and there were most of us on this trip that had experienced some kind of, like, demonic encounter before. Two of us hadn't, uh, Trey's wife, Kimberly, and this wonderful girl named Catherine, and, uh, and so I'm moving into the crowd, moving to the crowd, and I get, like, a third of the way in there, and I just hear the most awful shriek of my life. Like, I'd mimic it, but I'd blow out speakers, or lose my voice, but it was just, it was, it was nails on a chalkboard with like a microphone there, and, uh, and I look back, and it's this woman, and it doesn't usually happen this way, we're not supposed to, like, Jesus is real, but she's like doubled over, just heaving, like heaving, going crazy, bending in ways that she shouldn't, and I was like, what caused that, and I look, and there's Kimberly and Catherine on either side of her, they just started to pray for her, and she just loses her mind, and then, and I say this literally, all hell broke loose. Like hell literally broke loose and people start manifesting demons everywhere. And I saw like in stressful situations, I think you become a little bit more of who you already are. 
So I watched Graham from before, Southern boy, 6'1". He gets down kind of like this, and he looks at a person that's manifest. You devil, you better come out. It's like, Graham, you don't talk like that. <laughs> and he gets so Southern, and, uh, and I watched my friend Rich. I talked about Rich last week. He's British, like in his mid-50s, and he loves to taunt demons. And again, that sounds so weird. I trust Rich with my life, but he's, he's, he loves to just look. He doesn't even wear a watch, but if someone's doing something, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to come out, bro. He's from Brit- Britain. Oh, you're going to come out. And then he just says, power of God, power of God, power. It's like, Rich, say something different. <laughs> and so I just see Rich standing there, power of God. And I'm, I'm looking around at all my friends. I'm like, this is from a movie, but I'm praying for people too. And, uh, and I'm praying next to my friend Trey. Again, crazy, 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 believe me or don't. But I'm praying for one guy, another, uh, my friend Trey's praying for another. And then it's almost like if you played Call of Duty, like zombie apocalypse like we had a guy kind of like start to crawl up us and uh, but I was and it wasn't harmful we were fine Jesus is real but um I'm praying here Trey's praying here and then we got this guy kind of like interrupting what's going on which I believe is totally a great distraction or tool of the enemy and I watched Trey again this is not for any edification maybe more for entertainment I watched Trey take his hand karate chop the air and the guy falls asleep I was I didn't know we could do that I didn't know that was something that we had in our tool belt. And so Trey goes away after this. I'm still praying for my guy. He's got something wrong with his, I think, his elbow. And, uh, and this guy wakes up. And I'm looking around, and there's no Trey. And so I look, take, karate chop the air. Guy falls asleep. Haven't done it since. Again, not a magic trick. But we saw so many people delivered from demonic activity. It was crazy. It was the craziest day of my life. But I remember getting in the car, there's nine of us, and everyone's swapping stories and Graham's coming down off of his southern accent. And, uh, and I remember I didn't feel quite that excited because, I, I mean, and not that they don't know the scripture, that we were all excited, but it's like when you cast out a demon, if nothing fills the, that void, it just comes back seven times stronger. That's what Jesus says, so I choose to believe him. And I'm like, did we do anything? Did we just like empty it out for things to come back? And, and I remember Catherine and I, everyone was excited, but we were like, oh, I hope that like actual life change happened. I, I hope it wasn't just that. And the next day, Sandeep called us and he's like, hey, there were 300 people there. And we're like, yeah, we saw. And 200 demons, you didn't tell us about those. <laughs> and uh, he's like, out of the 300 people, 30 of them gave their life to Jesus and want to get baptized. We're following up with them now. And I remember thinking, there it is. It clicked for me. What now for 24 hours was just a cool story, was just like this, wow, what a thing, this could be in Hollywood, now became like actual life change, and it led to not just any miracle, but there are rankings of miracles. The greatest miracle of all, and then everyone below it, the greatest miracle of all is salvation. And we watched 30 people give their life to Jesus who had not yet done it before because they saw the power of God encounter their life. They saw the kingdom of God actually invade their really, really tough world. And so we don't do, pray, ask for miracles so that we can tell stories. Again, I, it would not be with integrity to tell that story and not tell the ending or if there was no ending to it. Because then it's just a cool event. But we, we pray for miracles. We ask for the supernatural. One, to increase belief, but also to bring glory to God. And so uh, I want you to answer this question. Because I have two Two statements, one I know and one I don't know. What I do know is that there is more of God available for us, and there is more of God available for you. I just know you haven't hit your like limit of how much God you can have. 
That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this whole month. That's why we're doing the event on Saturday, because we believe that there's more of God available. But I want you to ask the question, what does more mean for me? And, and I think it'd even help if you have like your notes, write it down, ask the Lord. Does it mean that you're su- supposed to start praying for people, for healing? Or you're asking God for miracles. I'd love for it to be in this world, but it could be and might likely be that there's unforgiveness in your life. And so, yeah, the band's gonna come down and I just wanna, I wanna ask this question and you can ask it while we're worshiping. More for me means blank. What does engaging with the more of God look like for you? And I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And I have really good news this morning. We're going to sing about it. We're going to believe it. But the kingdom of God has actually come near. Like it's not just some statement. It's not just something Jesus said and isn't true anymore. The kingdom of God has come near. And that should change the way that we engage with the world. The kingdom of God is coming near and our identity and our authority is the thing that we've got to most be secure in. We can celebrate, because I can tell you, your identity, for followers of Jesus, your identity and your authority is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is something worth celebrating. And so uh, I know we're going to have some people praying back there and back there. We're going to go after. We're going to go after healing. If nothing happens... God's still good, but I also choose to believe that God might actually do something, that God might actually break in to the natural. But I want us to celebrate, and I want us to move into a place of celebration because we get the honor of pulling heaven onto earth. Not fully, not until he comes back, but there are bits and pieces of heaven that we can actually pull down onto earth, and we can make earth look a little bit more and a little bit more like heaven. And so uh, sometimes we end a little more introspective. Um, not this morning. I'd love, I'd love for us to celebrate the reality that the kingdom is here. I'd love for us to celebrate the reality that Jesus has broken into the natural and it's changing everything. And so God, we say yes to what you have. We say yes to the more of you. And God, I don't want to live in that middle ground. I don't want to live like you probably still do things, but it's not relevant in my life. God, I say yes to more. And I ask that this church would be known for the more. God, that we'd be known not just for um, signs and wonders, but we'd be known because they point to you. Jesus, give us a full biblical view of what it means to live like you did. And let us celebrate well this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.